listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Give it up for Jesus. What an amazing time of worship. Oh man, that was so good. Um, the, the, the title, right, the, the theme of this series that we're currently in is Summer Songs. And the idea was to take time to go through some of the Psalms, not a super lengthy series, but rather just kind of like skim in and take some of the, the, the golden truths out of the Psalms and see how they can enhance our prayer and worship life. And I, th- I, I think in part... Pastor Jason was the one that, that suggested the name Summer, but I, at least for me, what I, what I think about when I hear summer songs, I think of freedom. We have this idea that summer is kind of like freedom for us. Even the kids think of summertime as freedom. Um, and, and what's funny is that regardless of how much freedom I've had this summer, and I've been able to travel with my wife, uh, go to Italy, I've been, I was at Comic-Con, uh, a few days ago, I've been able, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, I've been able to do a lot of things, but reality is that life still throws a lot of detours, a lot of curveballs, and tragedy our way. About a week and a half ago, my grandmother passed away, and we, uh, it was something that we expected. Uh, she was uh, suffering from Alzheimer's disease for over 10 years, and um, we, were, we were kind of waiting for it, but it's still... Uh, somewhat tragic, and um, and I still say though the psalms are songs of freedom, summer songs, because the the reality is when you go through the book of Psalms, you find songs and poems of lament and of worship, of praise, and in fact the lament becomes a form of venting that leads to worship. Where in frustration, the psalmist says, why God, have you forgotten me? Or he'll, something along the lines of, uh, are, you know, have you turned your back on me? What's going on? See, the reality is life is full of curveballs, of tragedy, of detours. And as much as we try to enjoy it, sometimes those things get in the way. And so for that reason, in a sense, I've selected Psalm 23 for us to dive in today. It's one of those, uh, as I was hearing the other day, Tim, uh, Timothy Keller talk about, it's one of those stereotypical uh, passages from the Bible that's sometimes printed on a coffee mug or on a nice little thing next to the door. But the reality is that it has so much truth that can lead us to a song of freedom in the midst of tragedy. I often see it, or people often see it in funerals, Psalm 23. And funny enough, when I went to my grandmother's service, it was there, but I was uh, happy to hear that it was actually her favorite psalm, not just a a funeral psalm. Um, And so what we're going to do in the spirit of this series is unpack what the psalm is teaching us. In the background, because even though these are heartfelt prayers, they are inspired by God. This is the word of God. We are learning biblical truth. We are learning of the promises of God so that we can soar into the freedom that he can provide in the midst of the chaos. Psalm 23 reads as follows. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Such a beautiful psalm, full of imagery and encouragement and peace and also hope in the midst of darkness. The reality is it's not, you won't have the fullest understanding of the psalm in this case, if we don't look to how Jesus fulfills this psalm. In John chapter 10, we see that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and that we can find pastures in him. So it's essential for us to understand that not just is this a prayer of the psalmist, but this is also a prophecy of sorts to be met in someone. In the Lord, yes, In Jesus, in fact, because Jesus is God. We see in the first verse of this psalm that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. What we want to do first and foremost is unpack that truth. Let's see what it means. See, the first thing that we're going to learn today as we dive into this psalm is that Jesus is the good shepherd He will meet all of our spiritual needs. Jesus, the good shepherd, will meet all of our spiritual needs. And I start by emphasizing that because he will meet physical needs as well. But that doesn't mean he will always meet all physical needs. Furthermore, the physical needs are serving the spiritual needs. We must understand that because Christians have died from famine The word says it, but we've also seen it. Christians have died from being in persecution. So Jesus, the good shepherd, will meet all of our spiritual needs, and he will meet the physical needs as needed by the spiritual needs. We must understand that relationship. See, throughout the Bible, God is often portrayed as the shepherd, and the covenant people of God, we are portrayed as the sheep which sometimes has a bad connotation, but in in truth it has, in this context of the covenant people of Israel, it has a beautiful imagery to it. Psalm 95, uh, verse 7, excuse me, says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. We're going to see Jesus talk about us being in his hand. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Once again. And then finally, Jesus, in verse 11 of chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Everything you've been reading about in the Old Testament is fulfilled in me. I am the good shepherd. I am the Lord. And it says specifically in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, we see in Jesus that the good shepherd has a willingness and a love 
that goes beyond all extremes, a willingness and a love for the sheep. In Revelation 7, 17, it says, For the Lamb, Jesus, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So once again, we're seeing, first and foremost in this first verse, that the Lord is the shepherd, and that the Lord God is Jesus. He is the good shepherd, and he will meet our spiritual needs. We still have yet to unpack that, so let me just mention a few other verses that will help us understand how he meets the needs of the sheep. So first and foremost, we've unpacked the Lord is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. But where does it say that he meets our needs aside from Psalm 1? We see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to mention, by the way, a lot of complimentary passages that won't be on the screen because our main scripture today is Psalm 23. But these are complementary passages that help us understand a little more into the depths of the psalm itself. Now, you might be thinking at this point, okay, well, needs of the sheep. What are the needs of the sheep? Well, they, sheep need to be fed. They need to rest. They need guidance, for sure. And they need protection from wolves. So we need to be fed. We need to rest. We need guidance. We need protection from attacks. So that's, that's the needs that we have. And the problem is we might think that these are merely physical needs. And that would be a mistake. Because sure, God can provide for all of our physical needs, but the physical needs serve the spiritual needs always. Romans 8.32, and later on verses 35 through 39, in chapter 8, the very end of chapter 8 of Romans, shows us that, in fact, sometimes God can deprive us of physical needs for the sake of the spiritual needs. It starts by pointing out that he gives us all things. He provides for us. He says in Roman, in, excuse me, Paul says in verse 32 of chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so here we are thinking, yeah, food and security and I'm not going to get robbed and all this stuff. But later on, a few verses later, Paul tells us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Are those the things that will separate us? See, the physical needs might be deprived from us in some instances for the sake of the spiritual needs. He will give us all things in verse 32 of Romans 8, and later on it says, even if we lose all the physical things. It's important that we understand that when we read Psalm 23 in that first verse, we understand that he is our shepherd and we shall not want means we will lack nothing that we need spiritually. It doesn't mean I won't have desires. It means I, excuse me, will not lack 
all of the essential ingredients to my spiritual growth and my spiritual reliance on God. Spiritual needs are first and foremost in this psalm. And the physical needs serve them as God sees fit. This is essential because when tragedy surrounds us, when circumstance of life takes over, when lack of a job or sickness or death surrounds us, we must understand that God is taking care of our spiritual needs and he is with us in the darkness. This is essential. Number two, Jesus meets our needs so that we would walk in a way that glorifies him. Number two, Jesus meets our needs so that we would walk in a way that glorifies him. The spiritual needs must show the evidence of the work in us. The spiritual, when we receive this help, this provision from God for these needs, when we receive those, they have a specific purpose, a purpose that points back towards God, that shows the world that we are being led by the shepherd, the good, true shepherd, Jesus Christ. In verse 3 of the psalm, it says, he restores my soul. And specifically, right after that, it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for my sake, for his sake. God wants to equip you with everything you spiritually need so that you can point back at him. So that people would see God at work in you. So that people would see the shepherd guiding you as the faithful sheep. It's all about him. So he meets our needs so that we would walk in a way that glorifies him. It's for his name's sake. A passage that complements this is Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21, where it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, that means give you everything you need. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, it says, the great shepherd, he equips us with everything good, everything spiritually good, that we would do his will so that Jesus Christ would be glorified forever. Again, Psalm 23 reminds us that one, he meets our needs, and two, those needs that he meets are for the sake of his glory, to build us up to glorify him. Point number three, Jesus holds us securely in his grasp, giving us rest, peace, and satisfaction. This is central to understanding Psalm 23, especially when tragedy attacks us. Jesus holds us securely in his grasp, giving us rest, peace, and satisfaction. We see this in verse 2 of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. When we think of the sheep coming into the pastures to lie down, we think of when it says lie down, rest. When it says green pastures, we see that this is for them to feed and lay down. So rest and food. He leads me beside still waters. That's peace. So we have rest, food, and peace. And lastly, he restores us. He restores, he refreshes us. So Jesus is giving us, in his grasp, he's giving us rest, peace, and satisfaction. Now, why can we know this? Why is it that the green pasture represents this? Because Jesus told us. And we must understand the full context of the peace that Jesus is providing us so that we can come into the green pasture I recommend highly this week as you dive back into this so that it's not just an isolated Sunday, but that it's something that goes with you throughout the week. Complement Psalm 23 with John 10. Read Jesus, his words, as he fulfills Psalm 23. See, in John 10, there's numerous verses where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and listen will go in and out and find pasture. This is language that the people of the time of Jesus understood. He's saying, Psalm 23 is me. I'm the good shepherd. I am God. It's, again, he says, you will go in and out and find pasture. And he says it right after he says, we'll be saved. The green pasture, the peace that we get, the provision that we get, the rest that we get, is the security of his salvation, of being in his hand. We are refreshed by this as we contemplate and look at our inability to be righteous by ourselves. Jesus tells us that we have pasture in him. He leads us to lie down in pasture as we refresh our soul, as we come to rest, as we feed on his goodness, on his love and mercy. Jesus says in that same chapter, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. And finally in chapter 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can have pasture. You can go into the pasture as a, as a sheep because Jesus is saying, no one is pulling you away from my grasp. If you are truly in my hand, if you've truly stepped through the door, if you've truly been saved, There's no one that will snatch you out of my hand. And I will equip you with every good thing that you need so that you will glorify me. In his grasp, we are secure. In his grasp, we have rest. We can have peace in the midst of the chaos, knowing that we will never perish and no one will snatch us out of his hand. That's what it means to have the good pasture. Number four, Jesus promises to be with us in the darkness. We must understand that he promised to protect and help and comfort us. 
Jesus Christ does not promise to us lack of darkness. So often you hear people in society, in secular society, talk about the problem of good and evil. And they talk about how can a world that God created be full of evil, and et cetera, et cetera. And see, what they don't understand is that the gospel does not promise lack of darkness. It promises that Jesus is right in it with you. That is why he died on the cross for you, so that he can be that shepherd for you, so that he can have you secure in his grasp regardless of the circumstance, so that he can lead you into pasture despite darkness. As the shepherd leads the sheep to the green pasture, there are dark alleyways. There are wolves attacking. Your circumstance is attacked. Many of you today, including myself, our circumstance is attacked. Consistently, there is a war that is being waged that we cannot see. But Jesus says, I am with you. And the psalmist recognizes this when he says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod means that if someone comes to mess with the sheep, Jesus is going to smack them. That's what the rod means. The staff means that he individually helps the sheep. With the staff, he can inspect the sheep. He can help them through narrow ways. So when we see the rod and the staff, what we see is protection and help. Individual protection. Don't think that you're just part of a mass of sheep that Jesus sees globally. He knows you by name. He says it in chapter 10. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. This staff is for individual sheep. He is looking at you in your turmoil, in your circumstance. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm helping you by name, by name. Don't forget, you're not just a part of a mass of sheep. You are known by name. You are rescued out of darkness with the staff. And he smacks the crap out of the attacks with his rod. That's the shepherd that we follow. And that's why he is glorified. Verse 5 in Psalm 23 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that weird? You can be at rest in the middle of the chaos, even when the enemies are right in front of you. As the darkness creeps around you, you are seated at the table. The presence of the enemies will not affect the meal, the fellowship that you have with God. He has prepared a meal, a table for you, and the The fact that circumstance, the presence of enemies is there, won't change that. You're getting dessert. (laughs) You're going to get fed. You're going to get it. Okay? You're not trapped by circumstance. It says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is the treatment of a guest, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of the presence of the enemy that attacks you, your, your cup overflows. This is a lavish host treating his guest. We've moved on from the sheep shepherd parable to being a host. 
Jesus is now serving a host, a guest of honor. He anoints your head with oil. You are a guest of honor. And he keeps that cup overflowing, lavishly giving you blessing upon blessing, even though the enemies are right there. Don't forget that. Because in the midst of the darkness, when the, when the circumstance surrounds you, you cannot forget that your head is being anointed with oil. That you have a cup that overflows when you seek him. Despite fearful circumstance, you are his guest of honor. Individually, each of us. Number five, the guarantee for those that rely fully on the good and merciful shepherd is to forever dwell with him. And this is the true pasture. This is the greatest rest, peace, and security that a sheep can have is that we will dwell forever with that good shepherd, with that host. See, we will lack authentic worship if we don't, as a psalmist, if we don't see, as the psalmist sees, that it, it, he, he's the main thing. It's not that there is pasture. He is the pasture. He is the water. It's him. He is the object of your affection, whether you know it or not. And you can try filling it out with sin your whole life, as I've tried, as many have tried, filling the gaps with the wrong things. But Jesus says, I am the living water. See, when we look to Jesus, it is the hope that we will dwell with him forever that just gives us pure joy. In Psalm 23, verse 6, that's why it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy, sometimes mercy, uh, in some translations it says steadfast love. Same thing. Steadfast, uninterrupted love, regardless. That's mercy. (laughs) Surely goodness and mercy or goodness and steadfast love shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, I heard a quote the other day and I can't remember who it was from, uh, but uh, someone wrote a commentary on the Psalms or something like that said, the people that wrote the Psalms knew less about God than we do, but loved God more than we do. They don't understand the fullness of what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord, but they are infatuated with it. They don't understand the goodness. It goes beyond we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Actually, we are the house of the Lord. He dwells in us. Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you are also being to get built together, us here, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's not that we're just going to merely dwell with him forever. He dwells in us. We are his house. That's mind-boggling. That's beautiful. In Revelation 7.17, looking towards the future, it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, once again, And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, when we look 
to the future. What we see is that right now, even though we are his dwelling place, we are being more and more complete as a body of Christ. We will be his dwelling place. He will be with us and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes despite of the circumstance. Now, I could stop there. We went through all of the verses pretty much and say, all right, now you understand what each part refers to. The first Psalm is talking about the fact that he's our shepherd and we're not going to lack any spiritual needs. He will give us that. Number two, uh, the needs that he's meeting for us is so that we can glorify him, right? We can take away that, and that's great head knowledge. Number three, we are secure in his grasp because he gives us rest, peace, and satisfaction. That's why he talks about the green pasture. He restores our soul. He leads me beside still water. That's great. He promises to be with us in the midst of darkness and to help protect us and comfort us, and he will dwell with us. How do we put it all together? What's the overall thesis of the psalm? What do we take away home with us? I hope your heart is ringing because this is what Jesus is speaking to us and that he spoke to me in the midst of my own darkness. Here's the message. In the midst of darkness, will I remember that his provision is more than my circumstance? In the midst of your circumstance, of your darkness, will you remember that his provision of himself is more than the circumstance? Because circumstance will attack you heavily. We have brothers and sisters in this congregation that have lost houses, have lost jobs, have lost children. In the midst of darkness, will we remember that his provision is greater than circumstance? That he will wipe away every tear? That he will be our rest, our peace, and our joy? Or will we forget and dwell in the darkness, letting it take sway over our lives as we stay in misery? It's not that we shouldn't be sad. It's not that we shouldn't have an emotional reaction to circumstance. We should, but we must remember That his provision of himself and his blessings is more than the circumstance. This is what Psalm 23 is about. You will follow him because you know that his provision is bigger than the darkness. You will follow him because you know he will restore you despite what happens. Because even in the presence of the enemy, you will rejoice in him. And your cup will overflow. So if you're feeling the darkness right now around you, look to the psalmist. Understand that he recognizes, even though he doesn't know a lot about God, he didn't have all the knowledge of Jesus on the cross and after, but he knows the character of God. The good shepherd goes with you in the darkness, assists you individually, knows you by name, and fills your cup to overflow Don't forget that in the midst of darkness. Don't forget it. Do not let the darkness take sway of your soul. Don't let it overcome you with grief. Take that grief and look to the knowledge of who he is. He is with you. He experienced every affliction possible so that he could be with you. That is what the good shepherd is. Whatever darkness is surrounding you, Don't isolate yourself. 
Seek prayer after service with one of us. Don't isolate yourself because God is speaking to you right now saying, I am with you. And guess what? Not just me. There's other sheep around you. There's other sheep around you. But we have his individual help. As the band comes back, may we remind ourselves that in the midst of darkness, he is greater. His provision of himself and of his blessings is greater. We have green pastures, still waters to rest and to have peace. When we navigate out of the darkness, and we will, we will have a place, we will become the place to dwell for God when it's all over and he will wipe away every tear. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly to say we are lost without you. Circumstance is impacting my life. And I have, Father, I have the theory in my head. I know I'm supposed to trust you, but sometimes I just don't see the direction I just see tragedy after tragedy, loss after loss. I don't see hope. I know you give me hope, but I can't see it. We pray this morning, Father, that if that's us right now, that you would speak life into us. That you don't promise lack of darkness, but you promise to be with us as the good shepherd. And that you will host a meal and treat us as a guest of honor, even in spite of what's right around us. You're always there, feeding us, caring for us, nourishing us, giving us peace, rest, and restoration, replenishing us. Father, may our life of worship be simply us seeking to remind ourselves of who you are in the midst of tragedy. May we go and like the psalmist in just six verses, pray authentically that, man, I'm in darkness, but you are with me and you will feed me. You will care for me. May we live authentic lives of worship as we sing songs of freedom in the book of Psalms. May we go from lament to praise, not because lack of circumstance, but because we are your host or we are your guest, Lord. As we conclude this sermon, we pray for the tithes and offerings. As the ushers come forth, to, uh, come forth to collect those, Father, that this would simply be an act of worship. I'm not going to say anything else, Lord, that it would just be an act of worship. That it would be simply our way of declaring faith in you, the good shepherd, who takes care of all of our needs. And may you use it, Father, to bless the community around us and to bless our leaders. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.